Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the Ion Travel Podcast with CBS News Travel Editor Peter Greenberg. Hi everybody, Peter Greenberg here and welcome to another edition of the Ion Travel Podcast. This week, an update on the airline pilot shortage from an airline pilot. But not just any airline pilot from Patrick Smith, the author of Cockpit Confidential and the founder of AskThePilot.com. Then, a chat with Paul Charles from the Flight Deck Podcast on the continuing challenges facing travelers in a post-pandemic world. And a few solutions. And then, my conversation with Corey Lee, one of my travel heroes. He's been confined to a wheelchair from an early age, and yet he successfully manages to navigate the world as a real road warrior. Up first, Patrick Smith. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hello, Captain. Hey, Peter. Thanks for having me back. So let's start with with what, you know, with what happens with you guys up in the cockpit, the pilot shortage. I don't see it getting better anytime soon. Well, let me just back up, and um, I, I want to describe what's going on in a way that maybe drives it home for some people who haven't been to the airport recently. But suffice it to say that in, in 30 years of commercial flying and traveling, for me, I, I've never seen anything like this. Just the, the chaos at airports, the, the congestion, the canceled flights, the delays, just the overall 
dysfunctioning of the system right now. I've never seen anything like this. And what it comes down to, in, in one word, is staffing. And you, you mentioned a pilot shortage, but this is something that's across the entire industry and every aspect of the industry right now. I mean, air traffic control, airport security, all of the, the different contractors that the airlines use, the, the, the caterers, the, the, the cabin cleaners, uh, airport retail, and of course, the airlines themselves. And, and you mentioned pilots. Um, there is a pilot shortage, but really there are two pilot shortages. There's the short term, short, excuse me, short term shortage, a lot of SHs in there, um, that is a byproduct of poor planning during COVID. And then we're dealing with that right now in, in the immediate sense. And then there's also the, the, the longer term bigger picture pilot shortage. We're not necessarily seeing and feeling that just yet, but, uh, you know, there is a, a point where those two crises overlap. And so, uh, yeah, that, that's a part of this as well. Well, you know, there's something else. You, know, you mentioned airports. I should tell everybody I'm talking to you from, you're in Lisbon today uh, during one of your, your flight layovers. And I should, I should tell everybody, Lisbon is one of the affected airports in another way. It's passport and immigration. Uh, I have not landed at Lisbon in the last year and a half, and I've landed there at least six times in the last year and a half, where there weren't 26 separate inspection stations, only two of which were manned. And you know, it's not really a surprise to the airports as to what time planes are arriving. It's called published schedules. No big surprise that overnight flights from the U.S. get in between 6 and 8 in the morning. And you can see between four and 5,000 people standing in line for nearly four and a half hours to go through just passport and immigration. You know, the guy to stamp your passport. And what's crazy about this is this is a problem that even predated the pandemic. It's only been exacerbated by it. And when you talk to the Minister of Tourism of, of Portugal, the first thing she'll tell you is, oh, passport and immigration is not my department. That's another minister. I said, well, when was the last time you chatted with the other minister so that you understand you can connect the dots together because your first impression of welcoming for your for your incoming arrivals is not really thrilling. And by the way, on the way out, it's just as bad. So, you know, and so, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say, since I'm talking to you in Lisbon, and I'm presuming you have a flight coming up. Uh, good luck, sir. <laughs> but well, but, the lines, the lines coming into Lisbon this morning uh, <clears throat> were pretty bad. Um, but I don't know that it's fair to single out Portugal. No, no, it's not just I, no, it's not I've just Portugal. Seen, uh, I've seen atrocious lines over the past month or two in uh, Dublin, um, Amsterdam, London, uh, you name it. It, it. It's everywhere right now. You're right. Oh, no, I, I'm not singling out Portugal, but you just happened to be there, so I thought I'd throw that in. Uh, I was in Dublin last month, and I reported on this. We had a, a flight at 6.30 in the morning to get to London. for you know It's a flight that lasts maybe an hour in the air. We got to the airport at 3 in the morning, and the lines were already out into the streets at the airport. We barely made the flight. And when we landed in London, we waited over an hour for our bags simply because the people who work below the wings, the ground handlers, the baggage loaders, the, the, the tug drivers, they're understaffed. I mean, it's, it's across the board, as you say. And the passenger volumes, the last numbers I saw, um, you know, the, the passenger totals, people moving through the system, uh, the numbers are still actually down a little bit from where they were in 2019. 
the issue is that we just don't have the infrastructure to support the people who are here. So it gives the impression that the airports are actually a lot more crowded than they used to be. That's not the case. They're, they're crowded only because there aren't the staff in place to, to process everybody. But it also seems to me, Patrick, that we're dealing with a lot of uh, unfortunate siloed thinking, meaning that the people who run airline schedules are not talking to the operations guys. And the people who are talking to the operations guys are not talking to the ground guys. And then, of course, well, nobody's, and then nobody's talking to the TSA. And then you have the air traffic control system also understaffed. And then, we, as I said before, we haven't even thrown in weather and you got a problem. Well, taking the airlines just by themselves, airlines have always been heavily compartmentalized. And that's always been a problem. That's something I actually talk about in my book where – Departments, you know, with their own vernacular and their own set of priorities and their own ways of doing things, you know, they don't necessarily talk to each other. And, and, and there's a dysfunction that's born from that, from just that heavy compartmentalization. And when things go bad, air, bad airlines, um, you know, they don't communicate well internally. And, you know, that's a factor here, too. But that's been with us for a while. Um you know, it, it, it's it's so easy to blame the airlines for all of this, going back to their strategizing during the pandemic and, and letting go of so many people and, and, and so much brain power. And, you know, that's coming back to bite them now. But, you know, going back to the height of, of the pandemic, you know, there were, there were so many unknowns, Peter, and things were changing so quickly. Nobody knew what was going to happen or how quickly it was going to happen. And a lot of it came down to just, guessing and and some airlines you know maybe guessed better than others and are handling this slightly better than others um but again that's only one aspect of this it's it's the airlines it's air traffic control security all of the different facets of the industry are all understaffed um did everybody make the same mistakes in the same way i i, I don't know it's it, we still need time to to really stand back and look at this and figure out exactly what went wrong and why well, the one star in all of this, which, by the way, it was the star before any of this happened in the pandemic, was global entry. Uh, that's the one government program I have to tell you I'm, I'm a huge supporter of. It works. They've actually improved the efficiency and the speed. I didn't think they could, but they did. You know, when I come back to the U.S. now, it used to be that you t if you were a member of global entry, you took your passport out. You put it into a, a, a card reader or a, a passport reader. It then took fingerprints of your four fingers on your right hand. And then if it accepted the fingerprint scan, then it would give you a receipt. And that took about two and a half minutes if it worked. Now you come back in. You don't show your passport. You just look at the screen. It takes your picture. It's all biometric. It's not reading your hands. There's no fingerprints. Mm -hmm. And you're getting a, a receipt in 30 seconds and you're done. It's like the coolest thing since sliced bread. If you're if you're a traveler, you, you, I got to give them not a shout even out. thirty seconds. What's it's that? Not even thirty seconds. Uh, it, it's quicker than thirty seconds. Um, we all love global entry, um, but I will I'll bring up the fact that I was at a certain airport uh, not long ago, within the past month, and uh, I think maybe two of the thirty global entry machines were working. So we've laid out, you know, we've laid out the problems. And they're worldwide. I happen to think right now the problems in Europe may even be worse than the problems 
in America where airlines and airports are either slashing flights and flight numbers precipitously. I mean, earlier this week, I mentioned it earlier in the show, British Airways canceled 10,300 flights through the end of September. And that brings the number of flights they've canceled in the last three months to 30,000. In in, uh, Gatwick, they're canceling 1,000 flights a day. Uh, in Amsterdam, they first tried to just ask the people to limit the number of people that could be in the terminal at any one time. That didn't work too well. Then they asked airlines to voluntarily cut their flights. That didn't work well. So what did the uh, the government of the Netherlands do? They issued a rule that no airline can sell any more airline tickets through the month of July. Think about that. It's unprecedented, extraordinary in the middle of the high summer season. Crazy. It is. It is. I've, I've never heard anything like that. And you know, at least for us in the U.S., I want to say that after Labor Day, we'll start to see things improving, maybe fairly quickly I as te- airlines yeah. regroup and, and as demand drops off. I, I tend to agree and, with you because there are a number of factors that come into play historically, at least, and with seasonality, right? Kids are back in school. People, well, at least more people will be going back to their original workplace locations. And then there's something else that's going to happen because what we saw earlier this year is that travelers would not be denied their travel. They would they would consciously forego other retail purchases, clothing, new cars, uh, maybe going out to dinner more often than they used to. Uh, they would not be denied their trips, despite the mm-hmm. fact that airfares were doubling and in some cases quadrupling. Uh, inflation, gas prices, any mode of travel, it was higher than ever. And then here's what's going to happen in September. Mark my words. They're going to get their credit card statements, and they're going to sit there with their (laughs) mouths open saying, I spent what for travel this year? Oh, my God. You know what? I'm not going anywhere for the rest of 2022. So my guess is, and I think you're right about about the number stabilizing, Patrick, that starting in September, forward-looking bookings in the fourth quarter are going off a cliff. And if you're a smart traveler, you know, that may be the time to book because the fares will be reasonable, the flights will operate, or at least more of them will operate. And then last but not least, if you have any frequent flyer miles left around that you couldn't redeem, they're going to suddenly become, those award seats are going to suddenly become available. Yeah, I think things will improve um, starting in September. And the test of all this will be, it's a long way off still, but Thanksgiving and Christmas at the end of the year. Well, especially Thanksgiving. Yeah, especially Thanksgiving. Because people tend to, you know, they can stagger their departures over the Christmas holiday, but everybody remembers it's the Wednesday before Thanksgiving that's the test. So let me ask you another question, and I'm going to ask you this as a pilot, right? It's all about airline scheduling, too. Now, I failed math in high school. I admit that. But I still can do some basic adding and subtracting. And you take any runway in the world, the most number of takeoffs it can handle in an hour it's about 23. If you add the, the wait time between flights, the time to spool up to get clearance, it's about two and a half minutes between flights. Uh, and that's in the best of all situations and that you're not crossing perpendicular runways and that there's no traffic jam to get to your departing runway. So my question is this. If we know the actual takeoff limits of the numbers of planes in any one hour, why are airlines allowed to schedule 38 departures at 8 o'clock in the morning? It doesn't make any sense. Well, some airports are, as we say, slot controlled, and you can't just pump in as many arrivals and departures as you want. The, the numbers are limited. But even when you think you have a set number of what an airport's capacity is going to be, there, there are just so many moving parts that it, 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 it still doesn't always work out. Uh, JFK is an example of that. It'll still get very congested at certain times when, when the weather gets bad. And You know, what that all comes down to is airlines have to 
and this has been a problem for a long time now, uh, learn to better rationalize their schedules and maybe begin consolidating departures uh, using uh, bigger airplanes making fewer flights. Uh, for years now, the, you know, the holy grail of airline marketing has been frequency of flights. You know, we've got 25 flights a day from here to there. Well, that's great until there's any sort of weather and then three quarters of those flights are delayed or canceled. Right. Um, you know, maybe um, offering fewer or somewhat fewer departures on bigger airplanes um, you lose a little bit of that marketing edge, but but overall, the system will run a lot more smoothly. The trick there is all the airlines have to do it, right? Because if only one airline does it, then they lose a competitive advantage. And that's and, that and so maybe about, right. maybe at some point, if it, if the the situation gets so bad, um, you know that that's going to have to be regulated somehow. Well, you know, um, it's interesting I because know. I don't know because they all want to be competitive. So they all publish departure times at like 7.59, so that you see there the first flight of the day. All that means is they're pushing back from the gate at 7.59. It does not mean they're taking off at 7.59. So for those people who've never read the book, War and Peace, this is your opportunity to complete it because you'll be sitting on the tarmac. My thanks to Patrick. Paul Charles has his ear to the ground, and his podcast, The Flight Deck, is always a great source of information, especially now, as the process of travel gets tougher every day our world gets a little more connected but a little further apart but then there are moments that remind us to be more human thank you for calling amica insurance hey uh i was just in an accident don't worry we'll get you taken care of at amica we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking it's human amica Empathy is our best policy. Hey, Paul. Great to be here, Peter. How are you? Well, it's nice to be back in London. Welcome. Um, it's nice to be back in a place where I don't have to get tested. Uh, I've, of course, I've been vaccinated and have both my boosters, so I, I think I'm okay. Congratulations on getting through the airports. Is oh, well, let's, yeah, can, can we talk about that? Yeah. You know, we talk about meltdowns in America at airports. We saw it happen over Memorial Day weekend where thousands of flights were canceled. And this is after some airlines took the preemptive chance of, of getting rid of a lot of flights before. They took them off the schedule, and it still fell apart. Um, they can't handle the numbers. They're overscheduled. They're understaffed. Um, and then you throw in a little bit of weather, and then all bets are off. Uh, and, 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 you know, here we are in 2022. Are we surprised by the fact that people can't do arithmetic? Well, we should be grateful that people are booking. That's the first thing, that people have the money, the pent-up demand is there to travel from the UK and into the UK. Yeah, but pent-up demand shouldn't be a surprise. No, I guess, though, since the pandemic, people have re-evaluated. They're thinking, should I stay closer to home? Do I vacation in the US rather than travel to Europe? Right, but they're, but they're traveling. They are traveling, increasingly. I was in, look, I was in the Dublin airport the other day prior to coming to London. Oh, my God. I saw what was going on two days before. My flight was at 6.30 in the morning, an hour and 10-minute flight to London, gets in about 8 o'clock in the morning. Yep. So what time did I go to the Dublin airport? 3 a.m. I decided I'm not going to mess around. I got there at 3 a.m. The lines were already out the building at 3 in the morning. It's crazy. Uh, They've had it, real issues at Dublin. But yeah. other airports too, Schiphol in Amsterdam, we've seen... KLM stop selling flights because they want to reduce the numbers coming through the air. Think about that. An airline, when did you ever hear of an airline saying we're not going to sell any more flights 
No, this is the time of the year that they, that's the only time they make money. Well, especially post-pandemic, when they need yeah. to recoup the losses that they've made over the last two years and struggle back to profitability. But the, the problem is, so many good people left the industry during the pandemic because they were laid off or they were furloughed. They never came back. And so the industry as a whole has got this vacuum, this gap in numbers of people it needs to operate successfully. And all that's happening is that consumers not, are getting but frustrated. Not, but, but they're not coming to grips with it. No. They're, they're in denial. I mean, yeah. look, here is JetBlue, uh, just about a month ago, canceling, taking 27 routes off their schedule. Who does that at the beginning of the summer? That's when you add. And they've delayed their flights to Boston uh, from, uh, the, from Gatwick Airport, which were due to launch in August. They've now pushed that back to September. So we're seeing airlines working on really short-term planning, which, as you know, in the past, they would have planned a year in advance. Now they're working on timeframes of a month or two months. This is unheard of in the industry, and it's, it's why it's causing so many problems for consumers who are caught up with last-minute cancellations, ground handlers who can't cope with the demand. And that's why you're seeing the queues across several places in Europe. Well, going back to my Dublin example, I posted a picture of what the airport looked like at 3.30 in the morning, and people thought I was making it up. Yeah, I saw that. And, and it's crazy that you should have to uh, queue for that length of time, oh, but even that if you're carrying ah, hand luggage. But it wasn't just one queue, excuse me. First, it was the queue to get into the airport. Then it was the queue to get into ba- uh, you know, security. Then it was the queue to get to the gate. And then, we're not done yet, then we landed on a plane, by the way, that was only half full, okay? After all of that, and people were still missing in flights. After all that, 49-minute wait to get your bag. That's not a good customer experience, and it's being repeated so many times across Oh, but I'm not done yet. Europe. I'm There's not more? done yet. Yes, because then you had to get an elevator to get down to get to a taxi, and they were like, there was a queue for that. You know, it's interesting. I always laugh. The people who build airports have never flown. The people who design airports have never flown. Do, do you really think, uh, this is a stupid question, but I'm going to ask it. Mm. By the way, it's rhetorical, so you're not going to lose, okay? <laughs> do you really think that I get up in the, in the morning and, and I want to go to an airport? No, no. I want to go through it. Yeah, as quickly as possible. Okay, so why would I want to get up in the morning to have a retail experience at the airport? Why would I get up in the morning to have a dining experience? Fine dining. Are you kidding me? I think things have swung too far because the airports are trying to make as much money. Some of them are now making more money from the retail right. than they are from the airport landing charges themselves. Which, which defeats the whole purpose of why airports are around. Absolutely. Well, we need to rename it a mall, not an airport. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, when you land or when you take off, you have to run the gauntlet of duty-free. I mean, like, gee, it's like, it's like leaving Disneyland, you, you have to exit through the gift shop. Stop it. It's, <laughs> and, not, and it's not a ride. It's an airport. And the irony, Peter, is they're asking for more money, in effect, by getting you to walk through the duty-free, but they're not passing on those higher revenues through to the workers. And this is the nub of the problem that's been seen in the UK recently, that workers who are handling baggage or security processing are not being paid enough. They're getting low and wages. And so high absentee rates, and then you got another problem. And also, why would you want to work in the sector, which, as we know, is a great sector to be in, when the wage rates are much lower than you can get at Amazon? All right, and now I'm going to tell you the real conspiracy here. I call it the people mover conspiracy, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, we're building a brand new terminal, and we're it's going to be great. It's state of the art. It's it's 21st century. It's this, and they put a people mover in that goes 30 feet. You know why? 
they don't want to anger the retailers by having you slide by them. Yeah. So they put in ridiculously ornamental people movers that provide no service at all, so you have to stop at all these stores. Now, by the way, if I'm an airport retailer, I get it. Okay, I understand it. But can we redefine what an airport is? And can we redefine customer service and experience? Because actually, many people would rather go back to the old days where you only had to turn up 45 minutes before the flight and then get straight on the plane. And I'd love that day to come back because then it would feel like a seamless travel experience. Okay, I'm going to give you a seamless travel experience. And it's doable now in major U.S. and international cities. Singapore, Changi, maybe? Oh, yeah, but I'll give you one more. I'm not going to give you an example. I'll give you a concept, okay? What takes the most time? It's schlepping to the airport with your bags, standing in line, not to just check it in, but then to take it over to the TSA area, blah, blah, blah. Why don't, but they have mass transit to the airport. But you can't take mass transit to the airport if you've got bags. You can't schlep them, right? So at the beginning terminals, they should take your bags there. They, are, they used to do yeah. this in London. Separate the process. There's, they, they used to do this at what's now Sainsbury's, mm-hmm. was a terminal mm-hmm. where you went there, you checked in there, and then you then you took a train at, to the at airport. Paddington Station, and you're Paddington right. Station. That's exactly where it was. And you, you'd, you'd be relieved of that baggage, and you could travel seamlessly straight right. through to the airport. How and much get on time the plane. Is, do you save, right? So, first of all, I'll, let me, I'll start from the beginning. You check your bags in at a train station. Yeah. Now you have no bags except for carry-on, you get on the train and you're at the airport, you don't even have to stand in line because you've already checked in, you already have your boarding pass, yep. you go to the gate, right? Or you go through security. The other thing is this. How many times, I'll give you a, a beautiful for instance, okay? This is a best case scenario. You get on a plane. It's a brand new plane. The flight attendants are happy to see you. All right, so far, okay, I'm already lying. But anyway, <laughs> okay, you get on a plane, the flight attendants are already happy to see you, That brand new plane is so brand new, it even has that brand new plane smell. You're sitting in a beautiful seat that actually has legroom and width. Uh, They serve you a delicious meal. Is this a dream you're having? Wait, I'm not. Ah, there's a payoff here. And they serve you a delicious meal. And by the way, there's no weather. It's 2020 visibility everywhere you'd ever want to fly. The the flight attendants are doing everything short of performing Broadway show tunes. It's phenomenal. And now, 30 minutes before you're about to land or an hour before you're about to land, the pilot comes on and says, will the flight attendants prepare for an early arrival? Oh my God, how good this could this be? And you land 40 minutes early? If only. And wait. And then there's no gate. And you're stuck there for an hour and a half. How often does this happen every day? It happens often every day. Every day. day and does. why is that? There are no surprises in the airline business. They know from the point that you push back from the gate. They have the ACAR system. It's transmitted to their operations center. They know to the minute what time you're pulling up at that other gate. So why isn't the other gate available? Because they're idiots. Well, and there's, there's a lack of communication between right. airports and airlines sometimes. Right. I mean, it's not like you just land and they go, oh, my God, he's here? Yeah. No, they knew four they hours knew. ago what time you're coming. Yeah. So here's what my solution is. Blow up the jetways. Get rid of them. Have, you can park a lot more planes. Let's go back to the future. Portable stairs, except with people who have mobility issues. Mm-hmm. And how much fuel is burned because they can't get to a gate? How much flight attendant and crew time is wasted because they're sitting on a tarmac? I think and misconnections from passengers. I think it's a really good idea, but obviously there are some who don't like that experience getting off the plane down the steps onto a coach and a waiting bus, ah, except then for a one bus thing. to the airport. It doesn't have to be a bus. You're walking 40 feet to the terminal. Often. Can you mention anything that I said, Paul, that didn't embrace common sense? 
No, you'd be a great CEO of an airline, but it is common sense. And sadly, we've lost a lot of that common sense during the pandemic because really good talents moved on into other sectors. Good for them. And we've got to rebuild in the, the airline industry. We've got to rebuild that experience. We've got to get great people in, pay them properly. And I think fundamentally, as we've been talking about, re rebuild and, and have a rebirth of the whole customer experience. Okay, so let's talk about that. The pandemic, you know, be, be, you know, be careful of unintended consequences. Mm. But the good thing that came out of it, if people would embrace it, is it gave people time to, to, to do a replay, a reset, to reevaluate, to say, okay, what lessons have we learned that we can now apply? But we've reset for the worst. That's the problem. And they've not done it. They, they've reset, but badly. And it's such a shame. We've got to make that whole travel experience much more seamless, much easier, much faster. I flew back from Rome the other day on a low-cost flight on Velling and the Wi-Fi was supposed to be working, it wasn't. Of course that ruined my experience. I was relying on that Wi-Fi before I got on the and flight what to were be you able to at? communicate. Uh, landing into Gatwick yeah, South. Okay. And then of course we were held for, as we were talking about earlier, we were held for 40 minutes because there wasn't a gate available for the plane to come in at. So I didn't get the Wi-Fi experience. I was behind on emails and working and I always work on a flight as, as you do. And I was then held up for 40 more minutes. This is not the experience I'm paying for. And it has to get better and go back to how things well, were. Well, I remember when they reopened Terminal 2 at Heathrow and they called it the Queen's Terminal, mm. right? With all due respect, the Queen is 96 years old. She would never make it to 97 if she had to go through that terminal. She'd be queuing for a long time she would, and she'd she be would, horrified. She would, she would pass away. She would be horrified if she knew that was the experience today. Yeah. And it's such a shame compared to when she first opened Heathrow, of course. Yes. Um, and, and, and what's got to change is real people with customer experience coming into the industry. I think too often the airlines employ people who are used to the aviation industry. We don't want people who are used to the aviation industry anymore. We want people who've worked for Amazon or worked in online retail or worked in a great shopping experience because they understand what the customer experience is all about. Well, you know, with some notable exceptions, every time I see a press release saying there's a new head of this at an airline, a new head of an airport, and he's had airport experience or she's had airline experience, they go, oh no. No, we oh, don't no, want she that. came from an airline. Oh, no. We don't want that. We want the best people who, who took Nike to better things. We want the people who took Amazon on... Uh, and, and doubled it in size. We want the Apple engineers to come in to help the seamless technology experience in the airport so that whatever airport I go through, all they do is read my eye biometrics and I don't have to show any passport or paperwork. This should be happening in 2022 and it's not. Well, the other issue is... You know, I don't really blame the frontline people at the airlines, the people who are the counter agents or the gate agents, because I blame management. Mm. Because it's management who says to them, no waivers, no favors. If you be nice to somebody in that respect, you're fired. Yeah. You, you can't. You know, there used to be something called the flat tire rule. Ever hear of it? No, what's that? Okay. In America, let's say I have a 10 o'clock flight in the morning and I'm racing to get to the airport in my car and I get a flat tire and I get there at 10 20 and I miss the flight. I, say, I had a flat tire. In the old days, they'd say, no problem, there's a seat on the noon flight, you're on, right? Today, it's like, well, you have to pay the fare difference, we're going to charge you this, we're going to charge you that. It's all about revenue generation 
without realizing there's no there's no customer service and there's no loyalty as a result and and airlines like most businesses pride themselves on getting the loyal customers back they need 60 to 70 percent of their customers to be loyal you know what the dynamics have changed there's no more loyalty because it hasn't been felt yeah it hasn't been felt there's one place in london that is getting it right peter um London City Airport, fantastic! I airport love that airport. To go through. Brilliant. By Canary Wharf, one. Although runway. they got rid of my favorite, my, my favorite flight. Oh, the BA flight. Uh, BA from flight London, BA1 one and two. BA one. The flight that went from London City Airport stopped briefly in Shannon. You cleared U.S. Customs there. It's called pre-clearance. Yep, yep. And when you landed back at New York, you just went home. So easy. And so that's easy. how flying used to be. I don't want. I, I cannot understand why they would cancel that flight. It was. A, it was a very popular flight. It was, but not so profitable uh, when fuel prices were going up it was just too expensive to fly a smaller plane like that yeah. between those two by the points. way it was a special plane it was built only for that flight that's right it was an, we've heard of airbus a319s and airbus a320s this was an airbus 318 yeah there were only like three of them ever built and and they had to build it so it could take off from city airport because it's one, a short runway short runway and there's a building i think it's a brewery or something at yeah. the end of the runway which yeah. is quite high so the plane can't be flying low when it i takes hate off. those high breweries yeah but no but the point <laughs> point is they actually came up with a concept that worked yeah. and then the, the accountants came in and killed it great airport you can check in 20 minutes before who'd yeah. have thought 20 yeah. minutes before the airport and you're straight on the plane that's the nub of what we want in the future well if there's any lessons learned during the pandemic that we can apply now as travel comes roaring back think alternative airports think uh, you know Islip Airport on Long Island instead of instead of LaGuardia. Think Milwaukee instead of Chicago. Think Oakland instead of San Francisco. Think Providence instead of Boston. Think Long Beach instead of LAX. And you not only will be pleasantly surprised about the you know, the lack of craziness, you might even find some lower airfares. Yes, and you will, and you'll find a much better traveling experience. And ultimately, that's what we want. My thanks to Paul. Corey Lee understands the process of travel better than most because he also understands the obstacles of travel better than most. Corey's in a wheelchair but continues to travel the world. He has a few things to say about it. Corey Lee, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Peter. I really appreciate it. You know, I want to run some stuff by you because, you know, for those of us who do not have a, a, a mobility issue, I still have issues of mobility. So the issues that you would have would be like 100 times more than that. For example, you know, we hear about airports. I'm convinced that the people who build airports have never flown. I'm convinced of it. I'm convinced that the people who design hotels have never really stayed in one. And then if you, go, if you compound that with the issues that you and so many people are facing, it becomes almost an insult. For example, why do they put carpets at airports where... Forget the fact that I can't pull my rollerboard on them. If you're in a wheelchair, how do you get around? How about checking in at an airport? Name one airport with counters that are wheelchair height. Name one hotel check-in desk that's at wheelchair height. Name cruise ships. This is the other one. If you're looking at 19% of, of the American traveling public having a mobility or disability issue, why is it that only 6% of cruise ships cabin cruise ship cabins are accessible it makes no sense um, so this is what you also write about Corey. and right now everything that we're talking about is not exactly news right the americans with disabilities act passed 40 years ago 
The real question is, um, you know, how do you enforce it? And how do you get people to realize that you have wallets as well? You can vote with your wallet. It should be accessible to all of us. Did I say anything that surprised yeah. you? Probably not. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything that you're saying uh, is something that I've been trying to advocate for ever since I first started being a travel writer and blogging back in 2013. So it absolutely makes no sense to me why, you know, airplanes are not accessible yet. And I constantly say that if every airline CEO would take a flight, and they would just be in a wheelchair user for that one flight and go through the entire experience of what flying as a wheelchair user is like, that it would totally change their perspective about air travel for wheelchair users. You're right. And I think it would be a, a totally different world. So you, you know, hopefully you, you, one. Yeah. You mentioned the air, airline CEOs. I'll give you an, air, an airport that is very popular in California. It's very easy to get to. For folks like me, it's easy to get through. However, if you're in a wheelchair, they have no jetways. That's called Burbank, uh -huh. Burbank Airport. And very busy airport. And if you need to board a flight, it's awkward. It's, 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 in fact, I think it's dangerous. They have to use like cherry pickers to somehow get you up. Um, and, or the ramps that they're using themselves are hard to navigate. So these are not difficult fixes because the technology already exists, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I recently flew um, to Minnesota or to Wisconsin and then was going to try to fly from Wisconsin over to Minnesota out of a smaller Wisconsin airport. But a couple of days before my flight out of Madison, Wisconsin was scheduled. The airline called me, it was with Delta, and they informed me that my wheelchair would not even fit on that plane because it was like a smaller regional plane. And so like two days before I was flying out, I had to come up with like an alternative plan and book a different trip out of another airport and drive two hours to get to another airport. And I found all of that out like last minute. So it's, I mean, it's a constant issue that I worry about. You know, we mentioned something called the Air Carrier Access Amendment. Does that have any chance of passage? I really hope so. I mean, it's uh, been up in the air for, I think, a couple of years now. But um, it, I think we are getting closer, and there seems to be a lot of support behind it. But basically what the Air Carrier, the Air Carrier Access Act that actually already exists, so this would be an amendment to that, which would reinforce existing rules for airlines um, to abide by and the Department of Transportation. So, I mean, if anyone is listening, I would really just encourage them, you know, if you want to make a difference in accessible travel for people with disabilities, just reach out to your local Congress people and encourage them to co-sign the Air Carrier Access Amendments Act. I mean, every voice that we can get showing support for this, the better. You know, it's interesting. You, you mentioned, you know, Air Carrier Access Act. How about this? How about once you're on the plane? And for those folks who have flown on a 737 MAX, now that the plane has been made safe, finally, uh, the one thing that the airlines did is they designed a lavatory there that people who don't even have an accessibility issue cannot even fit into that bathroom. I mean, I challenge anyone to use the lavatory on a Boeing 737 MAX and tell me if, if you're able, first of all, to get in it, 
And second of all, can you actually go to the sink and wash both hands at the same time? You can't. So imagine what your challenge is. You can't even get into the bathroom at all, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have actually never used the restroom on a plane. And I mean, I fly all the time. I mean, I, very frequently. I mean, I even flew from Atlanta to Johannesburg, South Africa, which was about 17 hours uh, on a nonstop flight. And I was unable to use the restroom for that entire flight. Oh. Um, just because I cannot like transfer over into the aisle chair and then get into the bathroom. And also, once I'm in the restroom, I would need a companion to help me. And so me sitting inside of a restroom with me in the chair plus a companion, I mean, it's just next to impossible um, or literally impossible on any flight. Well, so, cer- well, certainly not the way to set a Guinness Book of World Records. Not the way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not. I do want to set a record, but not that one. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. By the way, you have a website, right? I do, yeah. My travel blog is called Curb Free with Corey Lee. And on the blog, I talk all about traveling the world as a wheelchair user. So you can read about my experiences in 39 countries and across all seven continents. My thanks to Corey, to Paul Charles, and to Patrick Smith. And my thanks to you for listening to this Ion Travel podcast. For more conversations with the world's leaders in travel, as well as answers to your travel questions, be sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to listen to podcasts. And for all the breaking travel news, you know what to do. Just log on to petergreenberg.com. The Ion Travel Podcast is produced by Amanda Morris and Anthony Protis Chung. For more content from Peter Greenberg and the Ion Travel team, visit petergreenberg.com. Ion Travel is a production of CBS News Radio. If you like Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news, and culture maker interviews, and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery+. Plus. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus.